It's Pain and Fits on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. Presented by Progressive Insurance, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. All of our guests join us on the Shell Penzo Performance Line. Again, Progressive Insurance, presented by Progressive, is proud to honor our veterans by donating cars to move their lives forward, especially in times of need. Learn more about their Keys to Progress program and plans for 2020 at keystoprogress.com. Sarah, this is, uh, you know, at some point we've just seen the NBA end, so it feels weird to be saying this, but it looks like we may be on track for the next season to start soon. Even though we just crowned a champion, at this point we do know that the NBA's Board of Governors and Players Association will hold separate meetings on Thursday uh, that they're expected to culminate with an agreement on starting the season on December 22nd and playing a reduced 72-game schedule. So for anyone that doesn't know, the NBA draft is scheduled for November 18th. Free agency likely a couple of days after that. And now it looks like we may come to an agreement that gets us a season starting on December 22nd, which feels somewhat normal, like the thought of having Christmas Day NBA games. I just can't decide, you know, when we're sitting here having real conversations about sports not being able to finish their seasons, the cough, the NFL, and college football, and then at the same time we're having a real conversation about when the NBA is going to start up, it all feels a little strange to me. Well, and what's also difficult in making these decisions is that even when there's a gap between the teams that don't make the postseason and, say, the couple that are in the finals, you know, there's a pretty long stretch of time that those teams are playing while the others are dormant. That has nothing on teams that stopped playing in March compared to teams that were playing a month ago. That's almost a year. Right. And so as much as you can look to a team like the Lakers and say they've got a bunch of veterans, it's too fast to turn things around. You can look at my Chicago Bulls. They haven't played basketball since March. Right. I mean, it's it's it, it's a balancing act of trying to please the fans, trying to not lose more money. There's something like five hundred million dollars at stake between playing in December and waiting until Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, holiday to start. Um, so there's so many things that they're trying to balance here, and I don't envy them the decision-making. Now, Nick Nurse, who's the head coach of the Raptors, was on with KJ and Z this morning. Obviously, that's a team that made a pretty deep run. He was asked, is it too early to try to get back going in December? I do not. I do not. I think – I think I, I got to remember right, but I think we had about four months off already <laughs> already this year. Can't we? So, so I think we get four and another two. I think that's six. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a lot of rest for one calendar year. So it's true, the cumulative rest is a lot, but the quick turnaround between the end of this season and the start of the next completely changes things. And Fitz, one of the things we've talked about on the show is like the institutional knowledge that we all have about sports, the vibes and the rhythms that we get of this is when this is supposed to begin and around this time of year we're usually watching this. Everything's been thrown out. But in this case, we have gotten so used in the last couple of years to the NBA free agency period being a summer full of paying attention to literally every emoji that players post on their social media to tell us what it means when like Chris Paul is posting a boat or like, you know, DeAndre Jordan has like a rocket ship. Um, We're not (laughs) going to get that. However long this free agency period is, it's going to fly. And I'm really curious whether that means a lot less movement purely based on logistics. Oh, I don't want to move my family. With, with two weeks to go, or I don't feel comfortable joining a team and feeling like I'm a part of it and gelling and understanding their how, how they play and their offense and everything else on such a short turnaround. Well, are we going to see a lot of guys just stick around? That, that's a really good question, and I think there's also sort of a hype buildup that comes from it. Like, there's the long-running joke about summer sports talk radio when there's less going on, and 
how, you know, that's the time you talk about greatest sports movies. We all know that stuff. But right. over the last couple of years, it's Is become a really consumed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but we've become consumed with NBA drama because it's more fun to talk about, right? So I'm looking at this saying that in a lot of ways is almost like a movie trailer. It gets you pumped up for mm -hmm. the season. You spend mm -hmm. the whole summer talking about it. Now we're going to have, I mean, arguably, the uh, we're presuming Anthony Davis stays with the Lakers. So Fred Van Vliet becomes the only really big name for a lot of people that may move teams this year. And all of a sudden, is that enough sizzle in this quick turnaround when people are paying attention to the NFL and college football and the playoffs and all of those things to suddenly hype up the season in a way where it's going to feel different? I mean, I think there are long-term sort of implications to all of that. You're right. I, I think it limits player movement. I think it limits conversation about player movement, which in some ways limits the level of interest in what's happening and the drama that's become such a building block around the league. If you're going to build a league around drama for, for individual players, you have to acknowledge that when you don't have that drama, it's going to hurt the sort of common guy interest or girl interest in what the product is. Yeah, and it's going to cause people to say, let me pick back up to this closer to the playoffs, especially if there's players that decide to hold off on starting the season on time because they're nursing injuries or resting from from this last season that just finished. Now, you mentioned the, the 2020 class. There are some decent names. It's just pretty much anticipated that all of them are going to pick up their player options or even if they do opt out, just sign back in with the team they're on to a larger and longer deal. Anthony Davis, the name that you mentioned already, but Brandon Ingram, Gordon Hayward, Mike Conley, Evan Fournier, Andre Drummond, DeMar DeRozan, they had maybe a shot at relocating if there was a regular full free agency period for them to get bored or get wooed or get sent these massive uh, presentations, but they're probably just going to punt till next year. Um, and, and that does make it a little less exciting as we try to figure out where people go. You mentioned Fred Van Vliet, certainly one to keep an eye on. Dario Gallinari, right? There's a couple other names. Um, and then there's this little inkling of, is there any shot that the Bucks get worried about losing Giannis and decide to trade him so they don't lose him for nothing? I don't think that's the case. I trust that what he said was true and that he's planning on still trying to make it work in Milwaukee. But um, you never know. 2020 has been wild enough already. I'm not going to be surprised uh, if something something goes awry uh, on a team kind of freaking out about what the future looks like. But that also sort of pins Milwaukee in in some ways because they made it clear, uh, according to multiple reports, when they met with Giannis after the season, that they're willing to go into luxury tax. They're willing to do whatever it takes to, to build talent around him. But one thing we do have to acknowledge is that the salary cap in the NBA, and this is going to be true for every sport, but particularly in the NBA, is built on a 50-50 revenue split. Well, we don't know what the revenue is going to look like with mm. nobody in arenas, at least for the foreseeable future. Yeah, and how are future. they even making offers? That's an interesting point, too, because I don't usually dive as deep into the financials. That's not my, that's not my wheelhouse. But understanding how much the start of the season, what was lost last year, how that affects next year, affects salary caps, tells you a lot about what teams will be able to spend. When are they going to know that by, and how is that going to affect the deals they're able to offer, and how quickly will these players have to make decisions right after they get those offers? I think that's why we're going to see a bunch of one years because the only thing you can really bank on, I mean, for the players picking up their option, it's also the safer way for them to do it too. Hey, let's wait and see where this entire thing goes because right now if I'm a team and I'm an owner, I am very uncomfortable putting out a huge offer for somebody where it may turn around and suddenly I, I'm, I'm in, the cap, uh, in a cap situation or don't have the money because two years down the road, we didn't make anything from Arena and we lost a lot of TV revenue. Like those are all real things that will impact this. Yeah, uh, it's 
And, you know, it's a disappointment, like you said, because that sort of uh, trailer for the season, that exciting time where you're looking at the switching pieces and how those are going to affect what we see um, is a really is a really cool part of the NBA, especially in recent years. We've marveled at how they kind of stole the offseason from the NFL because of how much movement there was and how much that player empowerment affected uh, what teams looked like. Um, you know, I, I will say at least – there's also been a movement towards potentially starting this season around Christmas. And so if they do and it works out in whatever capacity it can work out right now when there wouldn't be fans in the, in the stands and things like that, uh, it could be something that they implement going forward. And I think a lot of people would like that plan and have, have argued on behalf of that for some time. Um, so, you know, maybe that's a tiny silver lining. Well, and I will say the other part of that schedule when we talk about starting Christmas is this is very rare for the NFL, but the NFL put a game on Christmas this year that is not on a regular game night. Like They went out and, and specifically programmed a Friday Christmas matchup between the Vikings and the Saints that I think they thought was going to be a good matchup. But if I'm the NBA, the last thing I want to do this year, as crazy as it is, is leave any window of opportunity open for the NFL to come in and say, you know what, we're going we're gonna to just put some on here, see how it goes, get a little momentum, and then the NBA loses a day that does have so much shine. So I think Let me that's just say this much. Part. I'll tell you one thing the NFL is not winning, and it's Thanksgiving because you want to know which those games are? Texans-Lions and football team Cowboys. Thank God oh, we get the God. Steelers and Ravens that night. Oh, dear God. I hadn't yeah. even looked at that. Oh, well, the worst. I got, I got those two football matchups and no Macy's Day Parade. <laughs> I'm sad now. Coming up next, we hear from the member of one of the toughest defenses in the NFL. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Going to talk a little more Thursday night football in just a little bit. Going to get reps from both sides to get you ready for that one. We're here on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance, cars, homes, boats, motorcycles, RVs, and more at Progressive.com. Joining us now on the Shell Penzel Performance Line, it's Colts linebacker Anthony Walker. Anthony, thanks for the time. Thank you guys for having me. How are you guys doing? We're doing all right. Uh, kind of a stressful time in the nation, but we're keeping ourselves busy with other things. Um, and one of the things is, of course, the, the crazy storyline right now in the NFL um, of COVID this week, maybe more than any other, 40% of teams affected. What's it been like? How different has this season been in, in trying to keep that under wraps and deal with that? Yeah, um, I think, like you said, uh, it's a season like no other. Um, and we understood that coming into it that uh, things are going to be a lot different this year as far as protocols and everything like that. Um, and, you know, we talked about it in our, in our team, uh, you know, the most disciplined team, the team that, you know, you know, uh, it's about being unselfish this year, you know, um, obviously not all the, you want, you, you are, we're not in a bubble, you know, so you want to keep everyone um, in your team safe, you know, the, the facility safe and everything like that. So, you know, monitor who you're around and everything like that. Make sure you're wearing masks and all that stuff. So it's been a lot different. But, um, you know, again, when you're sacrificing for the team and understand that you have a bigger purpose at hand, um, you know, it kind of kind of makes it worth it. So, Anthony, walk me through how it's affected you guys when you're getting into practice specifically. Uh, You know, um, a lot more water breaks from the coach. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, just uh, like we call it scatter breaks, you know, you want to make sure guys are, you know, not getting, being around each other too too often. Obviously, there's only so much you can do as far as, uh, you know, when you're practicing and everything like that. But, 
you know, we do have times where we kind of scatter and make sure that, you know, nobody's, you know, around each other for too long. Uh, you know, again, it's it's been the typical football season, I say, when it comes to practices and, you know, actually, you know, obviously playing football. Um, I think the outside stuff, you know, is the the real difference. Like, you know, you talk about, you know, guys having their, you know, the water bottles separate and, you know, guys having playing with no fans and all that stuff for a very limited number. Um, you know, that's a lot different, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's still football. And, uh, you know, we definitely enjoy the opportunity to be able to do that. We're talking to linebacker for the Colts, Anthony Walker, here on Spain and Fitz. Obviously, the Colts defense getting a ton of great pub this year. But Phillip Rivers, the new face on the team, I'm wondering, it, we know about his temper. Does that ever carry over to defensive players? Are you ever on the receiving end of that face that we've seen so many times? Yeah, I actually say uh, we haven't. Um, you know, he, he talks a little bit, uh, talks a little <laughs> trash and stuff like that. But, um, you know, we have guys uh, that get right after him as well. So it's a good back and forth, always clean. And, you know, everybody respects each other, number one. Um, but yeah, we have fun with it. Obviously, um, you know, I, we get our we get our jokes in and everything like that. But we know at the end of the day, we're a team, and we we want to uh, we have one goal at the end at the end, and um, you know, we're trying to get that together. I know you said it's so always he, clean. Does that mean in practice he does the same thing as when he's mic'd up? You're still hearing God God dognate and whatever instead of any swear words? Oh no, like yeah, I, yeah, he, he's uh he's he hasn't said a uh, uh, a bad word around me, so bad um, <laughs> it and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, all those words that he says, and you know, it's it's actually hilarious to think about. But um, you know, it's I I tell him it's funny all the time. You know, I never met somebody who trash talks without saying a, a bad word. You know, <laughs> it's like you know, what are you really trash talking me? Are you you know, are you really you know? So it's, it's funny. It's funny. I love I love it though. What's the difference been like for you guys on game day having Philip Rivers as part of the team? Like, how does that affect you guys just on the sidelines? Yeah. Um. You know, I think it started in camp, you know, giving us a great look offense. I mean, the, the offense giving us a great look um, defensively, you know, pretty much Phillip's seen everything. You know, he's seen every coverage, every uh, blitz that you could possibly throw at him. And uh, for us, you know, we're able to, you know, use that to our advantage and, you know, the sky's a little better, you know, all that stuff. Um, yeah, it's been it's been good for us on game day. Um you know, again, just somebody who's been in pretty much every arena for 17 years. So, uh, you, you like, no no environment is too big for him. You know, I'm pretty sure this is the first time he's played with no fans or very limited fans. But, um, you know, again, just taking it, you know, each possession by possession. And, you know, he, he's just as excited for the defense when we're on the field as, as he is when the offense is on the field. So, always good to, you know, feel his presence on the sideline. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio talking to Colts linebacker Anthony Walker. Like I mentioned, your defense, fantastic. Currently sitting uh, third in the league in defensive DVOA. I'm sure you were optimistic, but did you think you would be this good coming into the season? Uh, I think you always kind of had that vision. Um, I said it, you know, in the in the preseason or in the uh, in, in the off season. Um, you know, it looks good on paper, and uh, you know when you're putting the pieces together, the puzzle, you know, the drawing, however you want to articulate it, um, you know, it always looks good, um, you know, on paper, but it's not, you know, until you go out there and actually put it on display and, you know, actually go get tested, battle tested and everything like that, go put it on, you know, on the field every weekend, week out, um, you know, that's when you really find out about, you know, the team that you are. 
So I think, uh, you know, again, we've been playing pretty solid. Uh, I think we definitely feel, we all feel that we have another gear that we can get into. We haven't played our best ball yet. And, uh, you know, we just hope to be, you know, peaking at the right time. So just trying to focus on getting better each week. And I think we've been doing that. So what's the preparation like for you guys at this point with Lamar Jackson? How are you getting ready for that one? Yeah, I think, um, you know, he presents a unique challenge. Their whole offense does. But, you know, one of the most, you know, versatile quarterbacks that you'll ever play against as far as speed, you know, uh, quickness, you know, being able to throw the ball, running around in the pocket, all that stuff. So, uh, you know, again, I know this probably is, you know, second nature, but discipline, you know, that's all we've been preaching, discipline, 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 you know, run fits, um, you know, pass coverage, uh, rush lanes for, you know, the defensive line and everything like that. All Everybody's going to play a huge component in it, you know, as, as a whole defense this week. Um, and uh, I think if we're, the, if we're very disciplined in what we do and how we do what we do, I think we'll be fine. It's Spain and Fitz talking to Colts linebacker Anthony Walker here on ESPN. Uh, Anthony, you know, before the season started, there was a lot of conversation uh, in every sport about, you know, the, the choice to play amid the pandemic, but also amid civil unrest. I know you've tweeted a lot about voting and a lot about making your voice heard and, of course, a lot about your alma mater of Northwestern. Um, how has it been trying to balance all that stuff? And do you feel like you've had the opportunity to speak about stuff that matters to you outside of football um, if, if you've desired to do so during the season? Oh, yeah, for sure. I think, uh, you know, one of the biggest things that, uh, you know, we talked about in our organization, uh, you know, letting guys uh, feel how they feel. And, you know, um, you know, we, we're we all trying to figure out how to make the world a better place at the end of the day. And, um, you know, you want to be on the right side of it. So, um, you know, I think starting out with the voting, I thought that was, a, you know, a huge thing to get accomplished. And, I mean, if you look at the turnout, probably, you know, the most people to vote early and ever um you know i think that we reached the we reached the number the total number of voters last election and early voting you know very very early so i think uh you know people got the mindset of you know my vote doesn't matter and um but that's with everything though i think uh you know when you're trying to make the world a better place it starts from within you know looking at myself and i think we did we all did that as a, as you know as a team you know, we looked in our, we looked at ourselves and, you know, some, some, most of our team, our teammates, you know, my teammates, we challenged each other, you know, to have those difficult talks with one another and our families and all that stuff. And uh, I think that that played, that paid, paid a huge, you know, played a huge role, you know, and I think that that's a lot of, that's a lot that's been going on, you know, just the conversation of it, you know, that probably wasn't happening before um, when you talk about just about everything, you know, voting, you talk about, um, uh, racism, uh, whatever it is. Um, I think you just, you know, the the conversation getting started is a huge thing. And I think this whole offseason, um, all the stuff that was going on, all the, the stuff that the teams did, the NFL did, the NBA did, I thought it was huge. Um, you know, guys using their platform for, you know, for better. And I thought that was awesome. Anthony, Sarah just mentioned the Northwestern thing. Come on, you guys had 35 players inactive last week because of COVID, and you still are 2-0. and So what's your level of, like, trash talking to everybody else in the locker room about the undefeated Northwestern football team? Oh, yeah. I told everybody, uh, you know, this was going to be a special year at Northwestern. Um, last year wasn't a good year. Um, and I told, and I was actually on Zoom call with Northwestern uh, this offseason, and I was like, man, the guy, I, need, I need you guys to, you know, flip the page back around so I could talk my trash in the locker room. And, uh, 
Yeah, it was, it was great, man. It was great. Um, I'm I'm happy for those guys. They they they're they're definitely earning it on the field. It's always good to get a big win in Iowa. I thought that was huge for those guys. Um, the way they came back down 17 nothing, fought hard. Um, yeah, I'm always proud of those guys, man. I know the uh, the work that they put in. I know the work that Coach Fitzgerald, you know, that they you know the, that they demand of the players and all that stuff and the hard work that they put in on and off the field. And uh, definitely happy for those guys. And I think I honestly think that. Uh, you know they may they may win the Big Ten this year. Awesome! I love, we're writing that down. We're taking that. We're taking <laughs> that as a guarantee. Uh, good catching up with you, Anthony. Good luck this weekend. Thanks for the time. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, guys. Anthony Thanks, Walker, Anthony. Colts linebacker, with us here on Spain and Fitz. Coming up next, I explain why Jason needs to make me dinner. You've been listening to Spain and Fitz. <laughs> Coming up more next, ESPN Radio. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. You may recall when the Tony La Russa news hit uh, that he was the new manager of the White Sox. I, I went on a bit of a rant on, on Around the Horn that went a little viral. Uh, Scott Merkin just reported, he's a White Sox beat writer, uh, that Tim Anderson, the star of that team, has not yet talked to Tony La Russa and said, quote, I'm still waiting on him to reach out to me. How is that possible? Like, what what else you got what to do right now? What are you doing? I mean, that's flat. I'm, I'm, oh, I'm stunned. Like, in a texting world, what what else mm. you got to do other than shoot a text and be like, hey, I know, what, like, the first thing you do is, hey, even, can't wait to work with you. Even if you're Let's like, hey, base. man, we got so much time before everything gets going, but I'm so fired up to work with you. I, I think you're just a star, and we've got a big future ahead of us. This is going to be great. Like, Day one, like within within hours of getting the job, that's the first call. <sighs> Frustrating. I don't know. For I'm, my, like for my I, south side the minute friends, you I'm know you've got it, like the, but this speaks to the whole mm-hmm. the whole issue. And I know we've got other things to get to, but it speaks to the whole thing that we both had a problem with with Larusa. And for anybody that was questioning our conversations at the time about his age and the age gap, I don't think necessarily there's a great understanding of how culture works right now if you aren't in it in today's world in, in a texting world you got to get to people faster than ever like this world of i'll call you in a couple of weeks no longer exists like yeah. that that and shows a complete lack age, of understanding like we said before it's not really age so much as cultural Fair. fit and yeah that's not a good fit if he still hasn't reached out uh spain and fits brought to you by shell v power nitro plus premium gasoline we're going to get to uh some sound i i'm equally as flustered by or involving the pats but i wanted to uh, quickly point out uh that today is national men make dinner day now let me just point out i'm not usually on board with these stereotypical like uh whenever uh women try to do math day is i think i'm cool on this crap but i did think it was a funny thing to bring up for those uh which might, you know, who, who might feel like this hits a little close to home, right? Um, according to the National Day calendar, uh, there's a list of rules, uh, some of which include the main meal must include a minimum of four ingredients and require at least one cooking utensil other than a fork. The man has to shop for all the ingredients. The man has to clean up as they go, and aprons are optional. Um, hilarious that there are rules, and hilarious that this was even a, a thing. But for those of you out there, we'll throw it up at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, and ask you if you are thrust into action tonight on National Men Make Dinner Night, uh, what would you be most confident making that wouldn't be a disaster? Uh, And those of you that cook all the time, no shade. We know there are plenty of you out there that are masters in the kitchen. Yeah, first of all, I mean, everything you just talked about is stuff I love to do. 
Like I love going to the grocery store. I am that yeah. guy. I love cooking and I clean as I go. Like I got one of those prep deck things that like you uh, can put all of your your everything as you cut it and as you get everything yes. ready, you can yes. put it all your in the little containers. Yeah, I I am all over these things. Like that is a, a part of how I do it. And then a lot of times I'm cleaning as I go so that I can go ahead and just put the dishes in the dishwasher before I've even eaten. Like it's man, it's like a process for me. I I am all in on this. So National Men Make Dinner Day is only funny to me because I'm reminded that that's not normal. And I'll admit yeah. that well, you know my dad was a bigger cook than my mom day. was. It's pretty yeah. different now. I think the, the the whole nuclear family idea is is different in terms of who's working, who's cooking. All that stuff. But if you are someone who doesn't usually try their hand in the kitchen, uh, we want to hear from you. I'll post that in just a minute. We did already hear from Matt Light, former pa- Patriots tackle today, and we can't we can't let this pass without responding to it. He was on the Greg Hill Show on WEEI and had this to say about the Patriots season and this season in general. No one is going to look back on the 2020 season and and compare it to anything other than it was a joke. It was it was ridiculous. I mean, Bill Belichick's the greatest there is, man. Do you want to compete? Do you want to go after it at the highest level? Or do you want to do what they're doing right now and all the uncertainty? This is not the game of football that we all know. It's something other than that. Bill recognized it early on. I firmly believe that. And I think that he's building for the time that we can play for a real championship with real players, getting after it, fully prepared, and ready to go. I, we both just unleashed all the swears when we heard this pre-show. You get two decades of dominance. You get to be the most dominant team, arguably, in the history of the sport and enjoy countless successful Sundays and incredible postseason runs and Super Bowl victories and the first sign that you're not any good, the first sign that you might have to deal with what every other team in the league has dealt with countless years over the past two decades, and you just throw your hands up and say, this ain't a real season and we probably aren't even trying. Get the bleep out of here. This is so annoying. Well, and and did he bring that same energy for every other team that's tried to rebuild? Even if you want to believe that it's just a rebuilding year for the Patriots and they were all in on just stinking so that they could suddenly turn it around. You have to acknowledge that every team tries that. And guess what? It doesn't work easily when you don't have Tom Brady. Like, I'm not here to, to suddenly say that Belichick can't coach. I, and I've said multiple times, I think the Patriots have done what every team does. They took a flyer on a quarterback and they missed. And it's okay to acknowledge that. But you don't get to do that and then turn around and say, well, but we weren't even really trying. I mean, they had the opportunity, remember, to go after somebody in the draft if they wanted to. They could have gone after weapons. They didn't. You can't turn around from all of this and say, well, it's just salary cap without acknowledging that they still have to draft players. And the fact is the Patriots have drafted poorly for a very long time and they haven't been held accountable for it because they've been able to be successful. But now when you don't have superstars at certain positions, you can no longer just skate through the inability to draft and get cheap labor. And it's put you in this situation and you turn around and say, well, we're not even trying. We just want to work things out. No, you don't get that luxury. You just got to turn around and say, my bad, we screwed up and we'll do better. Also, if I had heard this sound any time other than five minutes before the show started, I would be going back to find out what Matt Light was saying after week one when we were all looking at Cam Newton and saying, wow, this is huge. How much fun is Josh McDaniels having with this play calling? How many teams? Everybody, shame on the Bears for not going out and getting Cam Newton. He's a superstar. And, you know, Bill Belichick one-upped us all again. 
What was everyone saying when it looked like they were going to be successful? Were they saying then that Bill Belichick knew this was a fake season and not trying? Because I doubt it. No, I mean, remember when everybody was talking about, oh, they're going to extend Cam, and look at this. Only the Patriots can find the best out of Cam Newton and get him to the next level, and now that's normalized. And again, Jared Stidham was supposed to be the great hope, and he's a third stringer behind Brian Hoyer, who had looked awful when he finally got in the game. I mean, uh, all of this comes down to, to roster mismanagement, and it comes down to the fact that they just aren't talented enough. And I understand if you want to turn around and say, well, guess what? We're rebuilding but you don't get to excuse the rebuild like nobody could have ever seen it coming or like they couldn't have done the basic necessities, i.e. draft well and sign better free agents, to at least make themselves competitive. That just feels so disingenuous across the board. Yeah, I mean, what a nice, convenient thing that when you're successful, you can say you're successful against all odds, and when you're not, you could say it's all part of the master plan to go ahead and tank, which you remember before the season started. As soon as there were opt-outs on the defensive side, people were saying this was the brilliance of Belichick telling guys to sit out so that they could tank for Trevor. Then they signed Cam. Wait, maybe they're not doing that, and now they're struggling. Oh, no, no, this was intentional. Get out of here. Suck on the losses. Own it. Take your bad year. I'm sure you'll be back sooner than is legally fair or right in terms of karma. But for now, you just have to eat it. Ugh. Coming up, we're going to get you ready for Thursday night football. I might still be angry by then, but maybe I'll cool off in the commercial break. It's Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Spain and Fitz is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive is proud to honor veterans by donating cars to move their lives forward, especially in times of need. Learn more about their Keys to Progress program and plans for 2020 at keystoprogress.com. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. We're going to get you into some uh, Thursday Night Football once that gets going. We'll keep you updated. Also, we asked you about uh, Men Make Dinner, National Men Make Dinner Day. You guys are impressing us. Uh, some of you not so much, but we'll get to some of those tweets a little bit later as well. I want to touch on uh, a couple games on, on the slate this weekend, Fitz. Um, and one of those is my Bears and how that might be affected by COVID. Uh, I mentioned earlier, 40% of the teams in the league right now are experiencing some sort of COVID effects, whether that's having to shut down facilities or players that are testing positive that are causing uh, the sit-downs of, of anybody who might have been affected until they can get tested enough to be cleared for the weekend. The Bears uh, were the former. They had to shut down their facility. And as Tom Waddle said today on KJNZ, the former Bears wide receiver and ESPN 1000 host, uh, there's a lot of things that could be affecting their matchup with the Titans this weekend. Things got worse this week, not just with Mitch being hurt and not available as a backup, but their offensive line is very likely they go to Nashville and play a Titans team with 80% of their starting offensive line not available. And it was an offensive line that was below average from the first snap of the season anyway. So uh, Mitch is out and Nick's going to be running for his life. So uh, take that Bears fans. Yeah, uh, we have a terrible, I said, we, I don't play for the Bears, although I might be able to this weekend. Uh, suit me up. Uh, they're having a tough time with run uh, offenses and, and the run game already, but you bring in Derrick Henry with an offensive line full of backups, Fitz, it's going to get ugly. Well, the the problem with this whole matchup is this is strength on strength and weakness on weakness, mm -hmm. right? Like, I mean, the Bears' defense is very good, and I believe they're going to be able to go uh, they're going to be able to go toe to toe usually with this Titans' offense. But conversely, on the other side, I mean, you talk about an offensive line 
uh, for the Bears. And you talk about the problems that they've had offensively, and I'll remind you that the Titans' defense has been absolutely awful. They're tied for the second-fewest sacks in the NFL right now. They're pressuring at the third-lowest rate, I believe, in the entire league. I mean, they they have been terrible, and, you know, I've excused it for a lot of the years, saying, hey, they'll get it figured out. But the defense for the Titans is actually getting worse, and Mike Vrabel, the head coach that's taken over all of the defensive coordinator work, seems to be not doing a very good job at what he's great at. So, you know, this has been one of those things where I'm left to wonder if he's put too much on his plate. I don't know that I trust the Titans' defense. So this is anemic offense versus anemic defense on one side, and on the other side, it should be some level of strength on strength for them. Well, I don't know where we're finding the strength in the offensive side for the Bears. I mean, yeah, the defense is strong outside of that run defense. Um, and then the Bears offensive line that already struggles to allow them to, to, to really be honest with the run game, try to get Montgomery out there to prove something so that they can be effective in the passing game. Uh, just just tough, uh, tough across the board. Um, I think I yeah, earlier you're right said also, that their Sarah, offensive that line is... issues were going to be an issue with their run defense. You know what I meant by that. Um, sorry, my brain is, is mildly broken tonight. I've been a little stressed. Um, oh, but yours you, and mine both. But I, I, I will meant. say, um, remember last week the Titans took on Joe Burrow and the Bengals, and they were without four of their starting offensive linemen. That's true. And they Didn't barely sneezed at him. I yep. mean, it was, it, it was epically bad. So, you know, the, the, the Titans – ability to get after Nick Foles I don't think is going to be there so that gives me a little you know, hope. that's going to be interesting that does give me a little hope the statue of Foles may may be okay considering that uh they were not able at all to get to Burrow despite those deficiencies um I'm still a little concerned about Derrick Henry tearing him up but um yeah still plenty of time too between now and then in terms of potential infection and otherwise to keep an eye on Another big game this weekend, and it's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, gets to join us on the Shell Penzo performance line, uh, is a rematch again of the Bucks and Saints. We saw it to open up the season. We definitely saw a different Bucks team then, not just personnel-wise, Fitz, but the progress progression of that team uh, having some time to gel. Uh, they look completely different now, and in the meantime, Breeze has been limited in practice for two days. I, I think this is going to be an easy win for Tampa Bay. Wow. Uh, you know, and, and... – I, I got to admit, like, maybe I'm so dug in on what I thought was going to be Tampa Bay that I'm not acknowledging that they're better than I anticipated. But I, I, I'm willing to admit that, you know, the, the key to the Bucks is simple. Can you get after, at some level, Tom mm -hmm. Brady? And that's why your Bears had so much success there in that matchup. And that's why my Raiders, for example, had so little. And then I went into last weekend, you know, or Monday night, I should say, I went into that game thinking, well, the Giants can't get after anybody, but the Buccaneers definitely struggled in that game. So, you know, if I'm the Saints, I'm looking around saying, okay, well, everybody keeps saying that we don't play well, but at the same time, we're five and two without Michael Thomas and been able to get the wins, even if it hasn't looked as good. And then Tampa, you know, you look at this Tampa team and say, can they get after Tom Brady? I don't know, but that's going to be the big question mark they have to answer through all of this. And, you know, there, there is always going to be, no matter how limited Drew Brees is, I think what we've learned is that the Saints aren't Drew Brees' team anymore. He's the yep. quarterback and he's the brand. But this is Alvin Kamara's team right now. And so as long as Alvin Kamara can kick going, when they can get Michael Thomas back on the field and he can be effective, they're still going to be dynamic in my mind. You know, uh, we, of course, will be keeping an eye on them going back and forth with the touchdown passes. Uh, 
Brady's now at 561. Breeze is at 560. Uh, they've exchanged the lead three times in the past two weeks. I said this last year, and people were really mad at me, Fitz, but when they did the big ceremony for Breeze on the field, I didn't want to take anything away from that, but I said, uh, are we going to keep doing this every single time or not? Uh, and we're clearly not. There, there, There's a moment of recognition, but we don't bring people out on the field and stop the game for any of these things. Um you have to think that those guys, as much as they understand that the rest of the season and as long as they're in the league, they will be trading this back and forth. It does give them a little bit of extra, you know, oomph to want to 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 get that done and get a couple ahead in this game. Yeah, you're absolutely right. But I do think it is funny. I mean, when I see breaking news, I stop everything. I'm like, oh, my God, the red <laughs> thing's saying breaking news. What's going on? Stop everything, and I look. I always think back to the night Especially that I was now. just now, hanging I mean, there's out. nothing really to be paying attention to and looking for when it comes to breaking news at this exact moment. So, especially something like a touchdown pass, worth your time. I mean, yes, and I always think back <laughs> to the moment, and this is sort of equally heavy in some ways. Like the night that breaking news hit, and I looked, and I was like, "Wait, the NBA season's coming to a halt because mm. of COVID." Like that's what I think of. So when I saw breaking news, and it's like, oh, for. For that, like I do think, I think it'd be hysterical if we maybe just made a breaking news banner, one that's like Bucks pewter and one that's maybe <laughs> you know ten, that, that's maybe New Orleans gold, and then just go back and forth so we know it every time. Uh, this game, um, you know, is 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 potential for the Saints to be short on the uh, defensive line. Uh, Sheldon Rankins was hurt against Chicago last week. They don't know yet if he'll be available. Um, and both defenses have been good against the run. I don't know how much that will affect their ability to do so, but I think the Bucks are first in the NFL against rushing, uh, and the Saints are third. Um, so like you said, this is not really Drew Brees' team anymore. Well, we'll see how much they need to pass in order to be effective if that rushing defense is, is coming out really strong for the Bucks. Yeah, you are absolutely right, and it's weird to be sitting here saying in 2020 that this is a game that could come down to defense because so few teams seem to like to play it. Uh, but, you know, if New Orleans can at least keep keep up with what Tampa Bay could do defensively, I, I think this one's going to be a slugfest. I, I, I really do. And uh, I'm still not I'm not all in on the Bucks yet. I, I'll and admit you're not it, Sarah, concerned not at all in. about the potential for for Breeze to not be 100 percent because uh, they kind of were downplaying that shoulder injury. Uh, but he's still limited, um, worked with no pads during the early portion of practice and was officially listed as limited uh, this late in the week. That means something. Yeah, maybe, but they got to let him throw the ball more than six yards down the field for it to be that big a deal. I'm just saying. That is true. That is true. shoulder <laughs> injury uh, may not affect enough if he's if he's doing Dinkin and Duncan. And you always got Taysom Hill in there that you can throw it, or even Jameis Winston. Will we get to see a little bit of him if the injury's that bad? Coming up next, a great story coming out of Stanford. You're going to want to hear it. Excited to have our guest on to talk about it. It's Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius X. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Sarah, you know I'm always one to stand up when I say something wrong, so I want to go ahead and take a second and at least acknowledge the world that I made a mistake earlier, uh, one of many that I've made in my life. But uh, earlier in, uh, we were talking about Northwestern football, and I did say that they had uh, 35, roughly 35 inactives because of COVID-19. That is not the case, as Northwestern has DM'd me on Twitter let me know that, uh, that that's wrong. Uh, they had more than 35 inactives, but it was not COVID-related. So I just want to make sure everybody knows that that's my misspeak. That's my uh, incorrect. Uh, that's my error. So, well, you had seen uh, information that was that that... incorrectly given to you, but now you have fixed it, and you will get in touch with the folks that had it wrong. 
so you know we uh, we live and we learn. I just always want to stand up and say the mea culpa as loudly yeah, as possible. I'm glad so, you did because I don't know what it feels like to be wrong. So it's good to see how you handled it, and maybe one day if I'm wrong, I'll know how to handle it myself. As a married man, I have been <laughs> wrong so many times. All right, uh, well, somebody that's never wrong, ESPN college football reporter Andrea Adelson joins us now on the Shell Penzoil Performance Line. Andrea, thanks so much for your time. We really appreciate it. We're excited to talk to you because you've written a piece on ESPN.com that is absolutely incredible about David Shaw, coach of Stanford, and the battle that he's had to go through with his brother as his brother has fought skin cancer. I, I guess the, the very beginning of this, because I, as much as I'm around college football, I just never realized the depth of this story. So what was it that brought this story to your attention? Well, about a couple of months ago, I was assigned to interview David Shaw to ask him, what did you do on the first Saturday of the football season when you had no game to coach. And he told me that he was helping his daughter with her college essay. And as a writer, I had to know what the topic was. So I asked a follow-up and said, well, what was that about? And he told me it was about his brother's cancer fight. And I asked a couple more questions. And eventually, after uh, some more grilling, he told me that he was the bone marrow donor that saved his brother's life. And I had never heard this story before, but I'm based on the East Coast, so I didn't know if I had missed it or if someone else had written it. So I frantically start Googling David Shaw brother cancer when I got off the phone, and I saw he had never spoken about it before. So I followed up with Stanford, and he told me not only was he willing to talk about it, but his brother wanted to talk about it because they wanted to raise awareness about becoming a bone marrow donor but also to give people who are fighting cancer or who have fought cancer hope and inspiration because they know what those dark moments are like when it feels like there is no hope and they had a successful outcome. And so their belief is that if they went public with this story, they could help so many other people who are going through a similar situation or possibly get more donors into the Be The Match program. Andrea, I remember Matt Caesar, who was with the, the Cubs and bounced around baseball in college, missed his college football season to donate bone marrow to a 15-month-old in the Ukraine that had leukemia. And I remember reading how much it takes out of you. And in your story, that really stood out, that it's not the same as going to donate blood. It is deeply affecting the person that is donating the marrow. You're absolutely right about that, Sarah. And what was so incredibly moving as I was doing the reporting for the story was what David went through in the middle of a football season, mm. 2018, without telling anybody what he was doing. So he had to go to Stanford Hospital five straight days, including the morning of a football game, to get hooked up to an IV to get medication that would stimulate his body to produce stem cells so that those stem cells would then be siphoned out of his blood and transplanted into Eric. And the side effects for this medication are extreme tiredness, joint pain, uh, and an inability to really go about your daily life as if everything was normal. He said it felt like he had a 50-pound backpack strapped onto him at all times. And he's a guy who loves running out at practice in between drills, and he could barely walk. 
and he wondered whether his players noticed the difference in him. He just didn't have that energy during the week. And all he could tell himself was, this is nothing compared to what my brother is going through. His brother was dying in the hospital as he was preparing to be the bone marrow donor. And he did all of this without informing anybody. And even though he wore that lime green pin for lymphoma awareness throughout the 2018 season, he never said a word publicly about why he wore that pin, except to say it's for cancer awareness. He just wanted to make it about his players and the football season and not make it about him that year. Andrea, though, given the way that locker rooms come together and give strength to each other and strength to coaches and, and vice versa, I mean, was there a thought process for him to actually talk to the players so that they could go through it together? He said he thought about it because he knew that there would be an incredible support system there for him. But he did not, did not want to make it about himself. And he was going through such an emotional roller coaster processing what was happening to his younger brother. He didn't want his 18 to 22-year-old players to be riding the same kind of emotional roller coaster that he was riding. So he told the players at the beginning of the season that his, father, his, his brother was fighting lymphoma. But he never told them how bad it was. And he never told them that he was going to go through the process of becoming a bone marrow donor until he knew for certain that it had worked. And when he did eventually tell them that it worked and his brother was cancer free, he said it was the best feeling in the world because they celebrated as if they won a Rose Bowl. And wow. he got very emotional describing that moment, the way his players reacted to him telling them that news. Andrea Adelson, ESPN College football reporter with us here on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. An incredible story. You guys can all go read it on .com. Uh, search under Stanford coach David Shaw and his brother Eric. Obviously, the, the pandemic complicating things even more. I know sort of at, at the end of the story, you talked about how difficult it's been because they can't hang out as much as they would want now that Eric is out of the hospital. Are, are there any updates even since you've written the story about how the recovery is going? Well, Right now, Eric is cancer-free, and I spoke to his doctors at Stanford who treated him, and they say there's a less than 1% chance for this cancer to come back. He basically has David's blood running inside his body. That's why he calls them blood brothers. So Eric has gone back to his normal life. Uh, he works in marketing for a financial company. Uh, he's able to enjoy his children. Uh, he has four of them and, and his wife. They live east of Stanford. And I don't know if Stanford is allowing fans into games this season when they do play a home game, but I'm absolutely certain when the moment comes for people to be cheering for Stanford and David Shaw, Eric Shaw, will be right there cheering louder than anybody else. So cool. Through all of this, Andrea, did this process in your talking to coach, did it give him any hesitation in deciding to come back and coach this season or instead of opting out in the COVID world? No. And the reason I asked him about that, actually, because I wanted to know whether Eric um, was at any greater risk for COVID because he was a cancer survivor. And because there is no cancer anywhere, because he has David's blood coursing through his veins, he is at no greater risk than me or you or anybody else who, um, you know, doesn't have any sort of pre-existing condition. So he's been able to go about his daily life without having to take any extra precautions 
because of the coronavirus. And when I talked to David in September, before I knew the depth and the breadth of this story, I knew that, you know, most folks inside football wanted to play this season. The players wanted to play. And I know David feels so strongly about his players and the experience that they have at Stanford, that he was going to do whatever it it would take to make it as safe as possible. And if his players wanted to play, he would be there as their coach to lead them on the field this season. It's a remarkable story and uh, definitely recommend reading it. Not only was it was it cancer, but it was an extremely rare cancer that took years to diagnose. And truly, they had all almost gotten to the point of saying their goodbyes. That's how certain they were that he would not survive. And so it's just a remarkable story uh, of brotherhood. Thanks so much for the time, Andrea, and congrats on the story. Thanks for letting me share it. I appreciate you guys. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio. Uh, I think you were closing this segment, Fitz. I just took over. I just, you know, I, my brain is broken. You were doing such a great job. I, I just got out of the way. I can't. My brain is broken. I'm sorry. I'm going to say that every single segment tonight just to remind people that I'm hanging out by a thread. <laughs>